Last week, Jason said that he had been preaching for 30 years. And uh, since he's not here to defend himself, I just want to... Uh, I just want to say, man, that guy is very, very old. <laughs> Some of you guys have uh, seen his whole ministry while he's been preaching. And in the middle of that comment, excuse me, in the middle of that comment, he said, I've been preaching for 30 years. And he was talking about doctrine. And he said, I've seen a lot of different doctrines uh, come up and uh, different kind of belief systems uh, rise up. And, and people kind of get drawn astray by them. And uh, maybe sometimes go a little bit more into a direction of something that's kind of just risen up than they would maybe willing be uh, willing to admit. And uh, different people groups, maybe not maybe not so much the church, but sometimes different people groups, they get pulled away into different type of belief systems by by what they see uh, coming from the world. Is this loud, or is it is it just me? I might be a, I might have adjusted a little bit. Okay, thank you, Mandy. One of the things that kind of came up recently in the past couple years in the, in the book reading world is kind of an idea of how to be uh, successful, you know, have life success. And, and what the books are really trying to do is they're trying to point people towards a life of, I'm doing quotes because that's kind of what they say, a life of what true happiness would look like. A uh, specific sort of field of, of books started to write books about habits, he said, well, if you can hijack your habits and the, the behaviors that you have on a regular basis, then you can truly live into this successful life. And uh, there's a handful of books written in, on that specific topic, uh, one of which I actually did listen to recently. Bob Blanchin kind of, kind of put me onto it. And there's a lot of good that comes from some of that stuff, but, uh, but some of those ideas are maybe... Maybe not necessarily biblical-based, and maybe not necessarily something that would make us better as Christians, but sometimes, you know, what we do uh, in the world. There was one group of people in American history that they didn't really have a chance to hijack their habits, right? We live in a world where we can choose what we want to do. I was saying in the first service, uh, when I was in high school... We had, the biggest thing you had anxiety about was that you could do anything. The, the, the world was opened up. You know, people, would, we would have this class where they would teach you how college is going to be, and they'd say, you can choose anything you want to do. I mean, literally, the, the world is just completely, I mean, whatever you want to do, right? And sometimes that decision is funny, but gives us more anxiety than maybe it does just to kind of stay in a controlled environment where maybe someone would force us to do something. This group of people were forced to do something. Matter of fact, almost all of their decisions were decided for them. Um, everything they did on a daily basis was decided. Uh, it was they were given a time frame to do it, and if they didn't do it well, uh, they were mistreated. And sometimes, if they even did do it well, but the master didn't like them, they were still mistreated. And uh, those people, and you're probably on to me now, but uh, they're American slaves. And what's interesting about the slaves is a life of slavery was, uh, was it's completely, fully, you have to do everything that your, your master tells you to do, right? You don't make any decisions. Your entire life is, is completely controlled by somebody else, by what somebody else would like you to do. And uh, that, that kind of makes me think of a group in the Bible that were also slaves, and you, you're probably on to me on that one as well. But the Israelite people were slaves to Egypt, and they had a ruler, and the ruler was pretty bad guy. 
right? We end up seeing how bad the guy was because he goes and he tells his leaders, he says, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take those Israelite people and I want you to enforce on them that they should make the same number of bricks. They were making bricks. They were slaves. I want you to enforce on them the same number of bricks, but I don't want you to give them the straw that you've been giving them. So make them go get the straw on their own and then make them make the bricks. And these people, once they realized what had happened, uh, they were like, well, there's no way we're going to be able to make these bricks. And uh, what Pharaoh told his, told his guys to do, he said, if they don't make the bricks, then tell all the leaders to beat the leaders of the Israelites. So these people of Israel were in this, in this horrible situation where they, there was no way out. And they, they really were in a situation where they would be beaten if they didn't perform what Pharaoh told them to do. The cool thing about the American slaves is, you guys know, but one of the presidents uh, rose up and fought against it pretty hard and ended up letting, making a, a, they ended up passing something that allowed all the slaves to be free. So maybe something that these slaves, you know, they hoped for and they thought was a far out reality, all of a sudden their lives were just right before them, just like we were out in high school. You can go do anything you want. Your life is yours. And this is where the story gets really interesting. Because there were slaves that packed their bags, got their families, and left their masters. But then there was another group, and they decided, well, I think I'm just going to stay here. I think I'm going to stay with my master. I think I'm going to decide just to hang out with him and still be his slave. And you might say today, well, yeah, they, there was probably, there was probably this, this difficult transition, right? Because they didn't have maybe money. They didn't have an, anywhere to go. They didn't have a lifestyle. They had no way to provide. And maybe you could say that it had a lot to do with that. And I'm sure you would be right. But I think there is maybe something deeper here. Maybe they became so used to the habits, the lifestyle, and letting someone else make all of their decisions that they would choose to be a slave over the truest form of what it meant to be free. The people of Israel were the same way, right? Uh, Moses takes them out, and, and right before they were about to cross the Red Sea, the story that we all know from our childhood maybe, is Moses has all the people, and they're right before the Red Sea. And the Bible says, I just read this last night, but it, it looks so, they looked over and they saw the people of uh, the Egyptians coming after them with swords to kill them. And right then, the people said, oh, you brought us out here to die. And we would have been better staying in Egypt. And they completely forgot about the oppression and the horrible leader that they were choosing. And what's very interesting about that is Moses goes before God and God says, Moses, don't worry. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. You see, the people of Israel had two choices. It was Pharaoh or God. And in moments of weakness, you could see multiple times they looked over and they said, we would choose Pharaoh. That's pretty much what they were saying. They're like, we would rather be slaves. But they got used to the lifestyle. And if you look at what they said, it says, we had our daily food there. They, they wanted to be fed. They liked the lifestyle. They were okay with not being free and being Pharaoh's slaves. When they had the God, the, the, the God of all creation, promising them a land, promising them a new life, promising them all kinds of things. So what about us? 
My question this morning really, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 17. But before we ever get there, I just want to say, do we want to be free? Because God in, in, in the scriptures has really granted us an opportunity to be free. But it's really about how we look at that and what we decide to do with that. And sometimes maybe we would rather choose the habits and, and the behaviors that we had before the lifestyle than over what it means to be free because what freedom really causes us to do. Why in the world would anybody choose slavery over, free, over freedom? But are we so comfortable in old habits that we would do that? So let's start in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 17 if you have a Bible and you want to follow me. I believe they'll have it up on the screen. It says in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, when Paul says Gentiles, we know that Paul's talking about the, the mindset of the world, right? Because we, he's talking to Jewish people in a sense, and, and, and they would have known that the, Gentile, the way Gentiles thought was that they didn't have God, right? They were alienated from God. And he's saying, look, guys, God has enlightened you. God has given you an opportunity to think different. And I don't think Paul would be saying this unless he saw something in the church in Ephesus that he was like, mm, I'm kind of worried about that. There's a problem there. Maybe we would prefer to stay darkened and stay not enlightened, enlightened I'm sorry, just so that we could stay in the habits and the lifestyle that feels comfortable and, and maybe feels like where we like to be. God's calling us to something more. And really, Paul's kind of circling back to the idea in Ephesians 3 uh, in verse 14 that Jason went through a couple weeks back where it says, For this reason, it says I, and he's talking, it's Paul here talking, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's saying this thing that's, it seems simple, but it's so deep that God has this idea that each of us individually, but as a unit all together, would become the fullness of God. That in us would dwell God so richly that we would understand his love and what God designed for us so at, on such a deep level that it would just pour out of our lives. And he's looking at the Ephesians church and he must be thinking, maybe they would rather be slaves. Maybe they would rather someone that's not someone that's not a gracious Lord, a gracious master, someone that doesn't look out for my best interest be the one that controls my life. You see, in the world now, we have two options. The Bible calls the devil the prince of the power of the air. We can choose to have him as our master, 
And really in life, guys, the truth is that you will have a master. There's not really a position where we don't have a master because the devil is controlling all of this worldly behavior and the habits that we maybe had in our past. Many of us, and the Bible says all of us, all of us had these habits. They were like Gentiles. The prince of the power of the air ruled in our lives. The Bible says we're either slaves to the flesh or we're slaves to the spirit. We're, we're, we're either slaves to our old habits and old ways of life and sin or, or we're slaves to righteousness. And we really have to choose that. There is no in-between here, right? And so we're choosing. We're saying either I want those things to be my Lord or I truly want God to be my Lord. Me. Many people, and Jason talked about spiritual maturity last week. And I think it's easy for us as, as young Christians to be baptized and recognize, man, I have a Savior. My Savior, he washed away my sins. And that's great. You know, that's awesome to accept Jesus as your Savior. But Jason always says this thing when he baptizes people. He says, Jesus doesn't just want to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. What it fully means in Ephesians, if you look at the first couple chapters, what it means to be in Christ is to be enlightened in our minds, to have another power working inside of us that controls our thoughts and controls our behaviors, not so much to fall into a, the comfort that it, it might feel, that we might feel from some of the old ways. You know, some of those ways might be maybe the devil's, the devil's really crafty. Some of those might be... Uh, I want to say woven in a little farther than maybe we can ever tell. You know, it's one thing for us to recognize that sexual immorality is a sin, but it might be another to recognize that every time some, you know, someone says a certain thing to me, I always think these thoughts, and I want to respond like this. But we take, that, we take that captive, that thought that doesn't line itself up with Christ, and we say, well, that's not really the truth. Or, or that, that's not really the productiveness. That's not really the building up that God wanted me to have, that he wants to come out of me because of what Jesus has done in me. So the Israelite people made it clear. Let's just be honest. Many of them, the Bible says this, with many of them, God was not well pleased. Many of them proved that they didn't really want God. They preferred Pharaoh. They would rather be in the old, old, old position. And the question today is, do we want Jesus? Do, are we looking at the same Jesus Christ, and, and do we want him? Because if, if we don't have, if we all don't conclude that the Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus that is the Lord of my life, then we'll be putting out different messages here. Right? One group over here might think this about Jesus and another group right here. But Jesus made it pretty clear who he really was, and it's really about whether or not we want him. Revelations 2, verse 2, talking about the Ephesians church, God says this to them, and he sends a message. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have, to you have tested uh, those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have per, uh, persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. Look, God is a just and gracious and truthful God. 
And he recognizes, I mean, here at Forest Park, but also the larger, just the body of people that believe in him. He knows the good that we do. He sees those good things. I believe he sees the good things that Forest Park puts out as a unit, right? He sees the work that we've done, but could it be that we do that work out of habit rather than out of love for God? Could it be that we get used to just kind of flowing with it and forget that this is really because God has renewed me? God has made me a new creation. I'm doing what I'm doing because I truly love and care for the people around me. Paul doesn't want us to become uh, hard of heart. He doesn't want our hearts to be hard. But he also, uh, and kind of point number two here, and I didn't do a very good job of giving you all point one, and someone told me in the first service. So A is Paul doesn't want us to have hard hearts. Here's B. I know I didn't say it, but B is that Paul doesn't want us to ha- become callous. Uh, Devin and I, sorry to put you on the spot, Devin, I know you're in here this morning. De- Devin and I went, decided we were going to go out to a volleyball tournament a couple months back. And uh, we, hit, we got in a vehicle, headed out to Baton Rouge, and uh, Devin and I play beach volleyball, and we really enjoy that. And we went to what's called a draw tournament. And so what they do is you show up and you, you try to rate your ability, uh, and they, they end up picking and trying to select um, a person from each level of ability. So you have four players. Uh, there's, they rate you one through four. Your one is your best player, and your four is your worst. So... I, I signed up, and, and once, what, once they make the teams, they call them all together, and I go up there, and I, I meet my team for the night, and I didn't know any of them, and uh, I had no idea who I had ended up on a team with. So I get, we get over there, we start practicing, warming up for our first game we're going to play, and I start picking up on the cue that uh, the number one on our team, um, which I know you guys think I'm so great at volleyball, but I was not the number one. So <laughs> but the number one on our team I was realizing this guy is really good. Like, he's on another level of good. And um, I was starting to notice, you know, I'm, I'm kind of picking up some of his, you know, what he's putting down a little bit. You know, I'm just getting to know him, whatever. So we get into our first game, and I realize, you know, this, this guy's a little bit, well, his name is Big Mike. Big Mike is a, he's a little bit over demanding, right? He, he wants me to do things that, you know, I maybe don't, but he doesn't ask me what I think. So uh, I'm thinking, well, he's our number one. He gets to call that shot. Like, he, you know, they're kind of the coaches of the team, whatever. So we keep playing. We get into a couple other games, and, I, and all of a sudden, Big Mike out of nowhere starts yelling at the referee. And I'm like, oh, no. And <laughs> keep in mind, like, when you're on someone's team, you might not represent what they are putting out there, but, like, you can't help it. Like, it's coming from the whole team. Like, you look, just look bad to everybody, right? So all of the teammates are kind of like, we're drawing back, and Big Mike's kind of like biting the referee's head off, who's a volunteer. We get into another game, and I started to recognize that not only were the referees afraid, but, like, the other teams started to be, like, really afraid of this guy. Like, they, were, they would be reserved. They already knew who he was, right? That's Big Mike. I was like, oh, boy, what did I get myself into tonight, right? We go on, and, and Big Mike starts to, as you would probably be able to guess, he starts to control everything, right? He tells all the other players what to do. He forces us to kind of play how he wants, and he's not asking, and he's kind of good enough to pull that cord, right? Big Mike was pretty rough on the volleyball court. I don't know what kind of guy he is off the court. Maybe he's nice. But you guys know how it is. When you get someone in a situation like that, sometimes the true personality sort of comes out of them. And really, when we hear the word callous, 
maybe we could think of Big Mike a little bit. And it's really this. Big Mike had no regard for the other people he wanted to win, and he had zero insens- or sensitivity, right? Big Mike was only worried about what he had going. He wanted to win, and it, it consumed his whole mind, his behavior. Paul wants us to be completely consumed by this idea that Christ had love even though he was a king. You think about kings in the world, right? Kings can do what they want. Right? And in Daniel, uh, there was a prophecy that said that there was a kingdom that would be forever. And we know that's Jesus' kingdom and it's forever. But the kings before him and the people, they were rough. I mean, like a king, think about this. If you just had to you know, sort of say, what is it that defined King Nebuchadnezzar? Or what is it you know, that defined the kings of the Medes and the Persians or, or any of those? And you really start to look and you, you say, well, <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed making people's houses of pile of rubble and ending their existence on the face of the earth. That's the kind of guy he was. He was callous. He didn't care. He was insensitive. And he had no regard for the people in in many ways around him um, from what we can tell. But the thing that sort of coins Jesus Christ is love. Jesus loves And Paul's like, you guys don't even understand because he died writing to us too before many of us would even see him or or know him. But he died long before, the Bible says, while you were still in your trespasses, Christ died for the ungodly. We can't comprehend. And Paul's like, I'm praying that you guys would be able to understand because let's just be honest, the Gentile world is darkened. They're not enlightened. They don't understand that the truth is truly in Jesus Christ and that he's the one that is, grants us say, uh, salvation. But we know each of us are upholding a way of thinking. Each of us are championing a way of doing things. We have these habits. We have this behavior that we have. And the question is, is that coming from our filter? And our filter is the truest form of who Jesus is really is and was. Paul doesn't want us to become callous. He doesn't want us to be insensitive. And it might just be that maybe the very reason we fall back into sin or we fall back into some of our old habits. Maybe we, maybe we got some students in here this morning. Maybe we go to something like NYR. And we, we've been there and we, and you know, some people went out to Ohio this year and that's great. And you get on this spiritual encouraged high But then you come back, and for some reason, you can't break the habits. Like, they just don't go away. Could it be that we've become insensitive to others, and we don't regard others, and how our position is towards them, and it causes us to fall right back in? You see see what I'm saying here? Christ's view of the world was outwardly, not inwardly. If we go to a conference or if, if, if we go to a weekend retreat or, and we come back and we feel fed, but we never learn how to put those things out and we never take it and say, well, well I, need to be, I need to think about the other people in my life, then we might just find ourselves falling right back into the same old habits because we never did what Christ truly called us to do. Take what you've been given and then allow it to change you so that others might be given as well. Allow it to come out of your life 
in who you are and what you do. So really, we turn to part two, which is really about the, the Christians. And Paul, Paul's saying, we can't walk like the Gentiles. And then he says this in verse uh, 20 of Ephesians 4. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So Paul lays out a little outline for us here. He says, those who are in Christ have heard about Jesus. And those who are in Christ have been taught about Jesus. Notice that the whole center focuses on this figure, this, this historical person, Jesus. Now, the notes from the sermon this week, I didn't come up with this, but the notes from the sermon this week said that this is actually the only place that Ephesians says the name Jesus without something else with it, not Jesus Christ. So you might think, well, why did he say Jesus? Why not say Christ there? Or why not say Jesus Christ? But I think Paul wants us to focus on the fact that the man, Jesus Christ, his true and real existence is how we get to God. That is where the salvation lies, but it's not just about that salvation. It's also about how do we walk like that man walked. Paul doesn't want us to focus on just a theology or an ideology of redemption. He wants us to focus on Jesus. It's about him. We've heard about him. We've been taught about Jesus, and we know that the truth is in Jesus. Paul talks about how... Uh, what he's given up for Christ in Philippians 3, verse 8, where he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see this, this common theme this morning. That Paul doesn't want us to just live in a, in a habit, behavioral, check-the-box kind of lifestyle. He wants us to know he wants us to understand. He wants us to recognize that God wants to come and, and, and fill our lives with the fullness of God. Now, we know that we aren't God. Jesus, Jesus acted like he wasn't God, even though he was. I say he acted. He chose a position that placed himself under God, even though he was God. That, we were talking about humility with the guys this week. Humility is not weakness, Humility is not vulnerability. What humility really is is recognizing your position in the world, saying, I'm not going to assume I'm, I am God. But Jesus also not only did that, but he recognized that he was in bodily form like we are and decided to put himself as not as significant as the next man next to him because we're all in bodily form. And so humility is saying, God is the one that dictates my life. He's the one that really has the control over what I do and what I say. And I'm going to make sure that I place myself as not as significant as those who God has created, else, uh, other, others outside of me. So Paul wants us to know, right? And he said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, because becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the, res the resurrection from the dead. 
Paul talked about understanding and knowing Christ like it was something to be grasped, like it was something to race for, right? Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I, I know I'm off the notes here this morning, Mandy. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm totally tangent. But first, think about 1 Corinthians 9 where, where Paul says that you need to run the race like you want to win. Like he thought about it as something that we need to go out and get, like not something that we just have or just because I went down in the waters of baptism that somehow I have the whole thing. But I do, but I have to walk and run my life in such a way that I walk into that, right? I have to go out and try to get it to understand who Jesus really was and to base my entire life, every decision that I make around who he really is. So the truth is in Jesus. And I want to talk briefly this morning about a couple of things that I see from Jesus' life and who he really was. Before I do, the question is, are we following the same Jesus? Is the Jesus that one of us sees the same Jesus that the other one sees? Or do we have groups that think, well, maybe it was more like this or maybe it was more like that? Or are we stuck in the rut of maybe some of the old habits and we can't or we're not enlightened or our view of the world is darkened because we can't fully see Jesus because we haven't decided we want him? The church, above all else, should be the people that have decided, I want Jesus and I want him to be brought into the world. God left it for us. Jesus left, and he left it for us to learn how to become like Jesus and hopefully well represent him in the world. Now, you can make a lot of lists about who Jesus really was. Maybe uh, you could talk about his attitudes. You could talk about places he went. You could talk about a, a lot of things. I made a list here of seven things. Uh, these are just the ones we're going to talk about this morning. Um, like I said, there may be others. But uh, these are the ones I want to focus on today. Uh, number one is this, that Jesus was an excellent communicator. Jesus knew how to talk to people. Not only this, but Jesus understood the people in his world. Right? That's, that's a job. It's a little bit of a job to understand the people in our world and why they think the way they think. Right? Cajun people, we don't quite think like some of the other people in the world. All right? I, I, really think, I, I really think God uh, likes various groups of people for certain things. Some of the very positive things that come out of it. And there's a lot of positive things that come from this culture, but we know for a fact that we don't think maybe like some other groups think. It's our, uh, it's our job as people sent out to those people to understand who they are and, and know how to communicate important truths to them. And the second one kind of goes with it. Number two is Jesus was a great listener, right? Because he was picking up from those people what really what they were putting out. Think about some of his examples in the, in the New Testament. He talks about a sheep and a shepherd. He talks about a wedding feast. You know, he, he talked about things that they understood, things that they were in their common life. And sometimes we have to try to understand their world so we can understand the Bible, uh, which is sometimes difficult. Number three, Jesus was committed to being open to the needs of others. He was committed he, was, he had this relationship with that, right? Like Jesus would be on purpose walking the way God wanted him to walk, doing some work, teaching people, whatever it was. And then someone would ask him for something. And I don't know if you, you've, you've caught this, but he, he kind of like would turn his attention. Right? He's got a crowd from what we know, maybe 3,000 people, right? 5,000 people at various times. And yet, and sometimes the Bible said he couldn't even walk. He had to get in a boat because there was too many people. 
And yet, one person said, Jesus, can you do this thing? And sometimes Jesus would follow them, like follow them to their town. Can you come heal my daughter? Ups and leaves. You know, Jesus really paid attention to, and he look, I think he looked for those moments where God was going to use him in a powerful way. Something we should do, right? We're looking for moments that God's going to use us in a powerful way. And this goes uh, a little with another one I'll get to. Number four, Jesus paid attention to the authorities in his life. Now, Jesus, Jesus was a guy that uh, God really established him in a specific place. But he absolutely paid attention to God and the way God was kind of working out the things in front of him. But he also paid attention to, like, his mom. You know, he, he, was willing, he was willing to respect and pay attention to what his mom suggested of him. And uh, all of us in here this morning, especially young students, we have parents, we have people that are, are authorities. Some of us have bosses and earthly masters. And uh, I think we take that from Jesus and, and respect and have a certain attitude towards them because of him. Ver, uh, number five, Jesus leaned on the Father to open doors for his ministry, right? This is one that's tough. Sometimes I think we don't get because we don't ask. What if we went into our lives, and maybe it's mundane sort of things that we do on a regular basis on a Saturday and times when we're at work or whatever it might be, and maybe we would get more opportunities if we asked God for them. Maybe if God knew we were ready, then we would be able to walk into truly having opportunities to share Jesus with people Number six, Jesus trusted God to bring justice in his own timing. This is really cool because I think this has something to do with that humility. Jesus, he, 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 didn't, he didn't force his way on people. Like the, like, like the story I told about Big Mike. Big Mike was forcing his way. It was his way or the highway. The world had to function around that guy. Jesus, on the other hand, kind of laid back in that sense. He didn't insist on his own way. And really, some people didn't treat him right, and he trusted God for justice and the wrath that God would have and didn't take it out himself. Number seven, Jesus loved and guided those whom God entrusted to him. God gave Jesus the disciples. We see that in John 17. Jesus prays for those guys. And really, Jesus says, I have, I have guided the ones that you've entrusted to me. Now, there may be people that have been trusted to you. Maybe it's your kids, or maybe there's a couple other people too. And really, Jesus really, really focused and loved and guided those guys. He poured into them because they were the ones that would take this message around all of the world. You never know who you might be guiding for God that might go out and make a really big difference in the world because of the way that you helped them. All right, maybe some of you guys are wondering what I got in this bag this morning. I brought this bag up. I do have something good. I promise. No, it's not that good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I brought this pair of jeans that I had. I want you guys to see this. Don't ask me why I still have these jeans. I probably should have threw them away a long time ago. But uh, I, I am, too, a creature of habit. And uh, I don't like to throw anything out until it is dead. I mean, like, there is no life left, all right? So I'll kind of walk around. But... Uh, these jeans I used to actually wear to work, right? And uh, my mom being a great sewer and just kind of loving us and still, still taking care of us even though she, we don't live in her house anymore, 
decided, she said, why don't you take those over to me? I don't know if you guys can see this, but there's this patch right here. And she said, why don't you take this over to me, and I'll iron this patch on there for you. I said, okay, great. Well, Mom, I love you, but the patch only lasted like maybe a week. And she did a great job putting it on there, but the problem wasn't the new patch. It wasn't the thing that that was going to fix it. Look, I could probably take this thing out right now. This patch is fine. There's two of them. There ain't nothing wrong. This is a good, anybody want this, come talk to me after the service. (laughs) But, (laughs) But... but these jeans, they didn't have any chance, right? The, the old didn't work with the new. It makes me think of a Bible story that I wanted to point to this morning where Jesus was asked a question about his disciples and why they didn't fast, right? So the disciples of John the Baptist, they were fasting, but Jesus' disciples didn't fast. And they, they were like, well, why aren't your disciples fasting, Jesus? They should be doing that. Jesus uh, answered them by saying that, you know, can the wedding guests fast while the wedding, uh, while the groom is with them. And uh, he really breaks into something where I've looked at this passage before and I, I didn't feel like I really got it, but it makes a whole lot more sense in this context. Marks 2 and verse 21 says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old and the worst tears made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for new wineskins. I think Jesus knew something that I think we got to get this this morning. I think Paul might be kind of hitting on the same idea. It's that we cannot put the new in the old. Old habits, old ways of thinking, old life, that's for the old. God, Jesus is like, look, guys, you're worried about a ritual, and I'm right here. You, and listen, I'm not saying anything against fasting. I'm not saying anything against fasting. Fasting still has its importance. But what I am saying is, did they care more about this religious, uh, I want to say, habit than they did about a relationship with Jesus? Were they so concerned? And that's, that was the group of people they were talking to. They were so concerned about that habit. And they said, this is what makes you right, that they couldn't see that Jesus was right in front of them. Jesus Christ is right there, and he, he has these opportunities to be new and follow him and do, and they couldn't see it. The habits were more important. We have to make a decision, too. Are the habits more important? Or is the lifestyle more important? Or can I give Jesus Christ every single iota of me? Can I give every part of my life over to him and say, God, I'm not going to let a group of people dictate who I am. I'm not going to let a social pressure, I'm not going to let a a Christian subculture decide who I really am. Now it's fully you and hopefully the fullness of God because you decide to be in Christ. And that's kind of where we finish up this morning as we close, where it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 22, look, we've heard about Jesus We've been taught about Jesus, and we know that the truth is in Jesus, and this is what that truth really is. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. i got to close up this morning. I know I'm a little over time already, but... There's really three things that Paul says here, and it's so important 
We understand that we're enlightened by God in Jesus Christ. But he says there's something for us to do. God's, God wants to make us new, but he needs us to do something as a part of that. God wants you to be a new creation, but God does that powerful work whenever we make a decision to walk with him. God will come alongside of us, but I don't think he does all of it without a commitment from his people. And there's the things that God really wants us to commit to. We have to set aside the old man. We have to let the old man be dead. And I have another verse, but I don't really have time to go to it. But Romans 5 talks about that. It says, we, we died. That old man is not alive anymore. All right? So, so Paul's saying in Ephesians, he's like, look, I'm, I'm kind of concerned because maybe some of us are still walking like we're still that old man, but we're not. We're not that old man anymore. It, it, that Romans passage says that that body of sin was brought to nothing. He died. The second thing is really that we have to put on a new state of mind. And you can think about this in the way the words are saying it here more in Ephesians. Uh, if you looked into it, not just what we think, but what controls what we think. The very core, the spirit of who we really are is coming out of us because Jesus has changed us and he's made us new. We decide to do that. Colossians 3 says, if then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And the third one this morning is this. We, not, we don't only set aside the old man and put on a new state of mind. We put on a new man. And that new man is created after the likeness of God's son, Jesus. We learn how he lived his life. We see how he communicated. We recognize that he dealt with certain people certain ways. And we try to implement that into our lives to be a spiritually mature Christian walking with Christ. This new man is joined all together when we all walk as this new man into a unity, right? In Ephesians, earlier in, 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 earlier in the letter, it kind of talks about how that new man is all of us together, right? God is the creator of this new man. God's the one that's shaping that, changing it, and critiquing us. And God is the pattern for the new man. God's the one. We're, we're all learning how to be more like God himself in the way he truly is. As we close, Colossians 3.9 says this. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And I think when we learn how to fully put on Christ, we learn that God didn't just leave us as slaves or free or whatever our worldly distinction might be. God said, I want you to be in Christ. I want you to be like Christ and Christ to be all in all. The church growing together and presenting Christ to the world in the best way we possibly can. That understanding, the renewal that happens in our hearts, maybe day by day as we learn to walk in Christ, God renews us and makes us look more like his son. This morning, if you have a need, I uh, hope you'll come. If you've never been baptized, um, it's so important that, you know, we walk through those steps and 
there's plenty of people here that can help you do that. Uh, there's people that know that. And uh, Bruce and Jody are up here in the front. Um, won't you come? We're going to stand together and we're going to sing a song.